Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 261. And welcome to 2024. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Man, the holidays feel like forever ago. And January's here. The coldest and darkest month on the entire calendar. And it kind of feels like 2024 is picking up right where 2023 left off. Especially with regard to the political shit show in this country. And so now is definitely a time still to stay vigilant. We're going to fight for much better health care than Obamacare. Obamacare is a catastrophe. Nobody talks about it. You know, without John McCain, we would have had it done. But John McCain, for some reason, couldn't get his arm up that day. Remember, he goes that like that. That was the end of that. Trump is still and always will be despicable and shameless. In addition to being a detestable thing to do, Trump attacking John McCain is also a losing political strategy for him and the entire Republican Party. Now, of course, it drives away Democrats, but it also drives away reasonable, traditional Republicans. Yes, they are still out there, and it drives away many independents, especially the almost 50% of veterans who are independent and unaffiliated. And as we covered last year, and we'll cover extensively in this election year, just a few thousand of those independent American votes could be the difference in November. But as we just last week recognized the third anniversary of January 6th, never forget that January 6th was an organized attempt to violently overthrow our government. It was an act of terrorism. It was an act of war. Don't let anyone spin or dismiss it. We all have to continue to demand accountability all the way up to the top to Trump and to anyone else who was involved. And we've got to continue to fight the American insurgency that continues to threaten America today. Just ask the FBI, who three years later is still searching for domestic terrorists who attacked our country on that dark day. And we should also take a minute to salute and to support all the heroes that stepped up on that dark day to courageously defend America against enemies domestic. When we say look for the helpers, plenty of helpers stepped up on January 6th. And we're going to need a lot more of them in 2024. Because for the first time in its 16-year history, the Council on Foreign Relations annual survey found that the leading concern for its experts is not a foreign threat to U.S. interests, but the possibility of domestic terrorism and acts of political violence here in America. And we've been covering this on Independent Americans for years now, and I've spoken about it frequently in the media and anywhere I can. The American insurgency is real, growing, and as we enter 2024, the number one national security threat in America. And we've got to stay vigilant now more than ever. And that goes for all sides of the political spectrum. Because if you haven't heard, the Secretary of Defense was in the hospital for about three days before they notified the president. He was in intensive care for a couple days, and they didn't tell the public, and they didn't even tell the president. And this is all ugly and going to be a mess that you're going to hear a lot more about in 2024. 
And if you think the Republicans were relentless and or ridiculous about Benghazi and Hillary's emails, just wait until the 2024 Republicans sink their teeth into this one. Because while the Secretary of Defense was in the ICU and the president didn't know and many of us were off on holiday, attacks continued on U.S. forces around the globe. We're up to 127 attacks now by Iranian-backed proxy forces on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria since October. The Pentagon is actually putting out that information and let us know there have been nine attacks just since January 4th. 2024 is shaping up to be a wild time. It's going to be a doozy. And so to start the year off, here at Independent Americans, we want to continue to bring you light to contrast the heat and talk about not just what's happening now, but what's happening next. And so we're bringing back a returning champion, one of our most popular guests from last year and this show's history. He's a guy who hosts one of my favorite podcasts and a guy that I really look to to help make sense of the madness and predict what's next. He's a master of marketing, business, media, and politics. He's the great Prof G, Professor Scott Galloway. He's a professor of marketing at NYU Stern. He calls himself right of center left. And he's the host of the Prop G podcast, something I highly recommend. I also recommend his books, including Adrift, his latest one that was a bestseller last year. He's also had important conversations about what's been called the crisis of manhood happening in America, where there are a lot of disconnected, angry, disappointed men that are becoming a real problem, not just in our neighborhoods and in our families, but in our politics. Scott Galloway gets to the heart of the most important issues in America and has plenty to say about Trump, Elon, and much more. But he's a voice of reason. And he's kind of got a crystal ball when it comes to what's coming up in business and even gives you some investment advice. If you want to watch the video of this conversation or get extra content and find out more, be sure to go to independentamericans.us where you can get a whole lot more and start 2024 off by joining our Patreon community. But he's back. The great Prop G to chop it up with me and you to start off 2024. Welcome to a conversation about what the hell might happen next. Welcome to a conversation about the heart of what's going on in America. Welcome to 2024. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 261. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, Happy New Year. We're kicking it off with a returning champion, one of our favorite guests of all time, and a man that I look to for insight, conscience, inspiration, and much more. I think a perfect guest to start off a new and what will surely be a turbulent and tumultuous year. The great and powerful Professor Scott Galloway is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. 
Thanks, Paul. Although I'm neither of those things, but anyway, it's good to be with you. Happy New Year! It's great to Happy have you New back. Year to you too. Thank um, you. I, I'll start by asking you what I ask everybody: Where are you, and how are you? Uh, I'm in London, and I'm doing really well. It's a little cold and dark here, but on the whole, I'm doing really well. How are you, Paul? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right, and I'm glad you're asking because I want to get into that. I want to get into you and I had a great dinner last year. And we had a conversation on my show, and I think uh, there aren't enough men checking in on other men. Hmm. And I think you've been really setting a powerful example in doing that. In addition to all the other work you do, I think that the stuff you've doing to lead by example as a father and a man is is some of the most important work out there. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, so I hope we can we can get into that. But I'm all right. I'm, I'm the, the house is a. Uh, we got my wife's got COVID. One mm-hmm. kid's got strep. The other kid's got stomach flu. Mm-hmm. And I'm just dodging bullets all around here, man. <laughs> oh. How old are you, Paul? I'm, I, you know what? Yesterday was my birthday. I just turned 49. Um, you look a lot younger than that. So you are, you are exiting what are the least happiest years of your life. There's, there's a lot of research and it correlates or it's, it holds up across geographies ethnicities, income groups, and that is if you have on the x-axis time and the y-axis happiness, it's a smile. And basically kind of 0 to 25, football, Star Wars, prom, pretty happy, 25 to 45 or 25 to 50, kids, stress, economic pressure, maybe a little bit of disappointment that you're not a, a general or a congressman or have a fragrance named after you. But as you hit sort of 50, generally what happens is you start taking stock of your blessings, your kids get less awful or at least a little bit older, maybe you build up a little bit of equity in your house, you feel less financially insecure, and you get happier, which is sort of strange because when you think about it, the least happiest group should be the least healthiest, and it's not seniors of the happiest cohort. So what I would tell you is it's it's going to get better. I need to hear that. And I, and I think a lot of folks need to hear that. And I've been trying, my, my wife told me last year that she thought that this conversation we were having about how we're doing and, and the macro conversation about how people are doing in this country and you know how maybe men and fathers in particular are doing is some of the most, she said it was some of the most important stuff that we did last year. And I really feel like it's true. And it's this intersection point where all my work around mental health with veterans um, my, even my, my background working in finance, my pop culture understanding, like, I, I feel like this is the conversation we need the president to be having. If you look at suicide rates, if you look at isolation, you've talked with R- Richard Reeves on your show, he, he, this great conversation about the crisis of masculinity. I have shared that single podcast episode with more people than any other podcast episode I've ever shared. Cause I thought you guys got to what might be one of the most important issues in this country in particular, because it's about who we are and how we're doing and maybe opens us up to everything from suicide to happiness to susceptibility to extremism, right? I think it's it's all like a reflected in our politics and our economy and in our culture. But do you think it's, what do you think going into 2024 with all of your insight and perspective, what do you think is the most important conversation we should be having? Hmm. So I, I think the biggest threat is not Russia versus Ukraine or Israel versus Hamas. I think the biggest threat is the United States versus itself. And I think extremism 
is um, the most dangerous thing in the world. And I actually think the most dangerous extremism is extremism in the U.S. We have a Speaker of the House who believes that school shootings are a function of teaching evolution in schools. And on the far left, we have apologists for terrorism. So, and we can't seem to find common ground or connective tissue. I think more people, I would like to see mandatory national service. I think that more people with platforms need to start celebrating how fortunate we are. I mean, if you look at the U.S. on a relative basis, I would argue, you could argue things have, at least relatively speaking, we're doing better than any other nation in the world. We have some of the strongest growth in GDP across the G7, and yet we have the lowest inflation. That's almost impossible to pull off. No one's lining up for Chinese or Russian vaccines. We are fighting, you know, or backing, I would argue, quote unquote, the winners in two conflicts with no boots on the ground. The new technology that has garnered more market capitalization than the GDP of Germany, AI, is not only in the US, it's in one state, it's within a 10 mile radius of SFO airport. I mean, things are just, relatively speaking, I don't think we've ever been stronger. And yet people, for example, people will blame the government and America for rising food prices. But when wages, which are now outpacing inflation increase, they, they credit their own grit and character. So people tend to blame the U.S. for their problems and credit, you know, their hard work for all their blessings. And I think we've gotten so far right and so far left in America that our inability to, you know, we just don't like each other. 45 percent, 45, I think it's 45 percent of Democrats are worried their kid's going to marry a Republican. And so people see Americans as the biggest threat, other Americans, as opposed to recognizing that Americans will never have greater allies than other Americans. So I see, just circling back to try and answer your question, I see the biggest threat as political or ideological extremism, such that, you know, if, if America's problems were a horror movie, the call is coming from inside of the house. We can beat back any external threat, I think, um, but if we can't get along, and we don't like each other. And that's, that's a bigger issue. I share that viewpoint. And I, and I feel like the world may not be able, or the country may not be able to put their finger on it, but they feel it too. I mean, the, the number one movie on Netflix over the break was Leave the World Behind, right? Where we, hmm. where we all kill each other. And it's an internal civil war created by our enemies to let Americans kill themselves, right? And, and I asked Jason Alexander about that in our episode to end last year. But I do feel like, Americans sense that, but why? What's the? Why do you think the economy is doing so well and the country is doing so well, and people don't feel like it's impacting them? They don't feel it themselves, or such a high percentage of people don't feel that way themselves. And what's the solution? Is it too simple to say leadership, and that we're lacking transformative leadership that can communicate the situation and chart a strategic path forward and and bring us together? Or is there another uh, prescription to this disease that's inflicting the body politic? Well, for a treatment plan, first you have to diagnose the problem. And you think, okay, uh, consumer morale or people's view of America, if America's heading in the right direction, despite the data, it, there's just some consumer dissonance here. There's a gap between perception and reality. So the question is, why are people so disappointed? And I think a lot of it can be reverse engineered to one phenomena that has never taken place in America before. And that is for the first time in our 200 and whatever it is, 70 year odd history, the 
a 30-year-old is not doing as well as his or her parents were at 30. That's never happened before. And so what you have is an entire cohort of a younger generation that looks at their parents' life, looks at the opportunities presented to their parents, and those same opportunities aren't as prevalent for them. And it creates shame and rage. Uh, more people under the age of 30 are living at home than with a romantic partner or on their own. Uh, there are less viable men economically and emotionally, which makes them less attractive to women. So there's less household formation. There's less, <clears throat> um, the birth rate is declining. If we continue to have fewer and fewer young people as a ratio to older people, the majority of our budget is going to go to supporting seniors and things like investment and in defense, technology, growth, education, all the things that create growth are going to get get kind of squeezed out. So while we have incredible prosperity, it is not being distributed equally. The average 70-year-old is 72% wealthier than the 70-year-old. average 70-year-old was 40 years ago. The average person under the age of 40 is 24% less wealthy. And if you look at our tax system, whether it's mortgage tax deduction, capital gains, tax break, both of these things are targeted at old people who own stocks and homes, people my age, who rents and makes their money from their sweat and current income, you know, a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old. Uh, we just stripped out the $40 billion tax credit, the child tax credit, which was shown almost immediately to reduce child poverty by 40%. I mean, the fact that we could even reduce child poverty by 40% is remarkable. And the fact that that costs $40 or $45 billion a year is literally dropped in the bucket in terms of our total spending. But it got stripped out of the infrastructure bill, but seniors got a 9% cost of living adjustment in Social Security. So I believe that almost every economic policy is essentially an elegant transfer of wealth from the young to the old. And so what you have is a group of young people who look up and see a lot of wealthy people and a lot of older people doing well. And they are on social media all day where they have wealth porn shoved in their face. Mm -hmm. So basically, basically, they have constant reminders that you're not living up to your potential or America is not letting you live up to your what you deserve. And I just think it creates real disappointment and rage because it kind of goes back. Warren Buffett says the key to a good marriage is low expectations. You, every day you have this sense of shame that you, because you don't have a six pack, a hot boyfriend or girlfriend and haven't made tens of millions of dollars buying Solana, you're a failure. And so you can either say, well, I'm a failure and turn on yourself and get depressed, which a lot of people do, or you turn on the government. But I think that economic policies that have transferred wealth from young to old to the point such that people under the age of 40 now control just half of GDP versus relative to what they used to control 40, 50 years ago. You come out of school, you got debt, healthcare, all the things that have skyrocketed in costs, housing, education, healthcare, they, they dramatically over-impact young people. So I, I feel as if America has kind of fallen out of love with investment in young people. Young people are more vocal. They tend to get more angry. They're more likely to, mm -hmm. you know, pick up arms or 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 want radical change. And I'll finish here. There's nothing more dangerous than a broke, lonely young man, and we're producing way too many of them. And so is a lot of the Western world, right? I mean, it, it feels, at least in Europe and other places, like there's this cauldron simmering and bubbling around the world and, and you know, complemented by the rise of extremist leadership that is tapping into that in so many places from Hungary all the way across. So is, is it, are, are people, have they had their heart broken 
by the fallacy of America? Is it a situation where we've got really good products and services and bad marketing and salespeople? Or, and, and how do we get to it, right? I, I feel like you've ascended this year in a really important, powerful way because you're explaining it. You, you're really breaking it down and helping people understand and you're living it in the way you represent your business and your values and your family. But there's a lack of that, right? People feel like Trump and Biden aren't connecting or if they are and it's, a, it's in a very partisan and extremist way. You've got maybe Trump has been replaced in some ways by Elon as like this new villain to be uh, obsessed over. Where's, where's, where's the leaders, right? Like when we, when we try to navigate this, I think you're one of them, but who else do you view as, as, as strategic leaders or inspirational leaders or even transformative leaders? We don't have a Zelensky in this country right now, right? To bring us together and show us the future. Do you see any people or types of people that are rising to meet that moment to provide solutions in leadership or even just comfort? I think there's a lot of good people out there trying trying to set good examples for young people. But you know, if you where, where the rubber meets the road is opportunity and and economics, and also just a chance to establish connections with other people and have deep, meaningful relationships. And something David Brooks has written a lot about. And as someone from the left, you know, I was I had somewhat of a gag reflex ten years ago when he started writing about this. The decline in church attendance, the the lack of connective tissue vis-a-vis -vis institutions and programs, whether it's after school, you know, marching band, whether it's church, whether it's athletic leagues, um, whether it's parks, the barbershop, you know, what we called sort of third places, if you will. Mm -hmm. There's so few of them that we don't establish connective tissue. And when you live in a community where there aren't very many immigrants and all you read about is migrants pouring over the border you resent them. Whereas when you live in a community with immigrants, you generally come to recognize that, you know, they're just people trying to make a living that love their kids and generally probably like America most, you know, more than most Americans. But we're sequestering from each other. The number of high school kids that sees their friends every day has been cut in half. And when you don't have that contact, one, you're much more likely to become depressed because you don't make as many friends, mentors, or mates. And you begin to resent people and you begin to make it easier to demonize immigrants or the other political party, what have you. So I think a lack of connective tissue, whether it's church or national service, you know, most the most patriotic Americans are people such as yourself. They're veterans. They're people who've invested in the country. And anyone who has kids knows that, understands the concept of the more you invest in something, the more of a vested interest you have in that thing's well-being. What I find especially obnoxious is I would describe the least patriotic people are the ones that are most blessed, specifically some of these tech bros mm. who have made billions by building what I would describe as a thick layer of innovation on top of middle-class household investments, whether it's DARPA, the space program. I mean, for God's sakes, you mentioned Elon. We gave him a $350 million loan. His, business, his company would have got out of business. There's no way he could build the charging infrastructure without government subsidies. And he deserved, I think it's great he's worth a quarter of a trillion dollars. I want to attract more, more innovators and billionaires. But for these guys to immediately make this kind of money, and then the first thing they do when they make this kind of money is they engage in this sport of shitposting government. I just think it's a wrong example. It's, it, 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 why wouldn't they be, okay, I could have, you know, I didn't start an EV company in Cape Town. We didn't build a search engine in Toronto. We're We're not, 
we didn't build um, an AI chip manufacturing company or design company in Buenos Aires because there is something wonderful and unique to America. And the reason I get to fly on a Gulfstream 650 and my kids have such a wonderful life and I can say things that I don't agree with is because I live in this singular, unique place and I'm appreciative of it. And I hear very little of that from our most fortunate. It seems like once they make their millions or billions, they want to move to a low tax domain state, which is their right. I don't resent that. What I resent is they seem to be just so entirely critical and be pouring fuel on the fire of dissent. And it's and I would like to see young people have mandatory national service, and I would like to, to become part of the zeitgeist, where we don't just expect rich people to give their money away, because then they get to decide what are the priorities as opposed to elected officials. But they're expected to serve. They're expected to, and that doesn't mean just giving money to far right or far left candidates, but they're expected to serve somehow in their local community or their government. But that just becomes part of our culture. That once you get to a certain level of wealth, you're expected to serve. Because, it, I, I mean, everyone's going to realize how amazing America is after it collapses on itself or how amazing it was. And so again, I, I, I find uh, a lack of appreciation among our most fortunate, uh, fortunate. I think social media makes things much worse by trying to identify what are you angriest about? Are you left? Are you right? And then move you to become even angrier. It ends up in the, you know, kind of the 60s and 70s, the Mad Men, the ad, Madison Avenue said, wow, we've stumbled on something. Sex sells. We can engage people with sex. The, actually, that's number two. The thing that trumps sex is rage. And if I can figure out that you're left or right and start serving you content that makes the other side look stupid or evil and enrage you, I can keep you glued to your phone and sell you more Nespresso and Nissan ads. And that has been really damaging uh, to America. And then, you know, we could go a little bit deeper. I think there are foreign actors or bad actors who have weaponized these platforms who see that we can't beat America kinetically, militarily, economically. So let's get them to hate each other. And when I'm on and I'm no longer on Twitter because I don't want to paint this guy's fence. But when I'm on social media, I just find a lot of the most incendiary comments. And if I double click on it, it's not a person. It's clearly a bad actor. Now, that mm -hmm. might, person might be just someone who doesn't like people or is angry. But if I were China, if I were the GRU, I think they'd be stupid not to be weaponizing these very porous platforms and getting us uh, fighting against each other. When the European settlers came in, they didn't want to fight the Native Americans directly, because so what they did is they got them fighting each other, and then they came in for cleanup. You know, Hitler did the same thing. So uh, the way you the way you defeat an enemy is you atomize it first. And I feel like we're being atomized. Uh, but uh, if if there is um, a need right now in America, I think it's a massive investment in things that restore kind of the connective tissue internally within ourselves. I appreciate and celebrate. All of that, and especially the focus on the connective tissue and national service. You know, the rage is the piece that I don't think is being pulled apart and explored enough in the public conversation, or even by leaders in an open way. I think there's a behind the scenes conversation that politicians will have about rage and about anger, but out in the open, understanding how angry this country really is and how angry men and isolated men tend to be. And they don't have national service. They don't have the military as an option. They don't see politics as an option. They don't have a family. This show used to be called Angry Americans, right? That's mm -hmm. where we started because we saw this I saw this anger and I wanted to channel it. You know, everybody's angry, but what you do with it is a choice. Mm -hmm. And we've tried to encourage people to put that into, into positive solutions. And 
the rage component is 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 so scary that I feel like folks don't want to touch it. And the the national service piece, the only leader I see focusing on that is Governor Westmore in Maryland. Now, this show mm-hmm. sometimes becomes a Governor Westmore love fest. He's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I wish he was an independent. He's a Democrat, but he seems to be embodying a lot of the things you're talking about. And he's also mm-hmm. putting them into practice in, in policy. Um, so I ask you, you know, do you have a thoughts on him or anyone else that you can look to and you say, all right, Elon is not a good example for our kids. Who is a good example? And and going a bit deeper on the on the solution piece, you're great at understanding markets. It feels like our political market is bankrupt and it mm-hmm. feels or it's calcified. It's failing. Is there a disruptive solution? We talk a lot about independence, third parties, ranked choice voting, all the ways to get that 40, 49 percent of people who aren't Democrats or Republican more engaged. Is there, you know, to you to, to a business solution? to this political problem that you're betting on in 2024 and beyond? Well, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, to de-gerrymander America would be a good start, so that we're not just constantly sending hard right or hard left people, because we send people to Washington that just day one aren't gonna like each other. They're just not gonna find common ground. Right. And so ranked choice voting, kind of final five, I think that would be very powerful. Alaska has that. And when you know, Senator Murkowski is like pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just, we need to send, we need to, we have minority rule right now. And that is the majority of, you know, first off, and we're not going to change this, but about 60% of our senators represent about 15% of the population, right? But let's focus on the things we can solve. The majority of Americans are now the largest um, self-identified political party is independent. The majority of the people are in the middle. If you looked at, if you looked at abortion, most people think, okay, a woman should have a right to choice, but there's an IQ test, and once it gets beyond a certain point, it should probably be just for health reasons. The majority of Americans are probably kind of okay with that. You know, the majority of Americans think, all right, you have a right to bear arms, but there needs to be at least registration. Uh, or some some sort of technology to track this stuff, or maybe we don't need assault weapons that can kill 40 people in, in 22 seconds. Maybe weapons of war shouldn't be. I mean, most people, there is common ground. But the people who end up in D.C. because of our electoral map and because of our election system are just, and because of social media, the way you get reelected, the person who gets reelected is the person who raises the most money. And the re- way you raise the most money is by inflaming the hardcore part of your base such that you can get through the primary, or you make some sort of out crazy, outrageous, incendiary, hostile statement that goes viral on TikTok, and your cons- a small number of your constituents, and unfortunately the people that will send in three, five, ten bucks by when you call the other person a bad name or or just say, you know, uh, uh, shoot them at the border, right? Shoot them. When they come over, shoot them at the border. Mm-hmm. You know, the New York Times and reasonable media on Wall Street on left and right will will decry that. And then that person will raise a lot of money. And so we have to we have to figure out a way to have a more representative democracy where we have reasonable people. I do think national service. I think we have to start doing a better job of distributing the spoils. Our economy the last 30 years has produced more wealth than Europe has produced in the last 200 years. But you wouldn't know it looking at the average household income. It's gone up, but I don't think it's bested inflation or kept pace with the market because we keep crowding more and more money into the top 1%. And I believe in billionaires. I'm not a class warfare person. I don't believe in a wealth tax. 
but it really has gotten out of control. And when there, when people see prosperity uh, of just these staggering proportions, it's the 1% that get the most play in the media. It just makes you feel like shit. It's like you get the sense that everyone's a baller but you. And it makes you really upset and angry. And the greatest innovation in history wasn't the microchip. It wasn't AI. You know, it wasn't the EV. The greatest innovation in history was the American middle class. Until that point, the world was pretty feudal, pretty hostile, pretty violent. You know, 10% of the men had 80% of the opportunities. Only 40% of men even had the opportunity to procreate. They didn't have the opportunity to build a family. All of the wealth went to people, all of the mating opportunities, all of the power. And then we brought back 7 million men, veterans, who were kind of heroes. They played on the field and won. We gave them low-cost loans for mortgages. We gave them the GI Bill so they could go to school. And we we produced this cohort of really attractive economically and emotionally viable men. And they attracted a lot of potential mates. And then we decided through um, equal rights, and um, more uh, progress and laws protecting women and their rights and civil rights, we created this economic engine where everyone kind of had a shot at it. And there was huge household formation and the middle class became just this economic juggernaut where people felt like they had a vested interest in the success of America and our industrial base. And people could, on a decent job, have a home, two cars, send their kids to college and feel really good about America. The middle class is extraordinary. It's just, there's never, the middle class in America, there's never been anything like it. And it created peace, prosperity, happiness, the likes of which we've never seen. It has kind of gone stagnant the last 20 years through a lack of investment. And we need to stop this myth that the middle class is a self-sustaining function of a market. It's not, unless you reinvest in it, unless you give kids Pell Grants, unless unless you figure out a way for investment programs so young people can meet each other, unless you figure out a way such that a kid from a poor household has a shot at getting into the middle class. You're just not going to sustain the middle class. So let me use the R word. Unless you redistribute income from our more successful, our most productive citizens, i.e. the rich, to sustaining a middle class, through whether it's the University of California or armed services opportunities or ROTs, whatever it might be, right? Or low interest, first time home buyer loans or child tax credit, whatever the program is that helps build up or buttress the middle class that's the investments that that we need to make and i i see the greatest innovation in history being starved for investment so uh, that's a perfect point for me to ask the question because we used to say about the gi bill it's not a charity it's an investment it's the greatest government investment arguably in history you're an investor you're making 2024 predictions What's the what's the play? How do you invest in that opportunity? What, who are the people or the companies or the app? Like what? Where do you make that investment? Whether you're an individual or you're a political actor or you're a government or you're, you're a billionaire or even just you personally, how do you how do you where do you make that? Where are you putting your money to to capitalize on that investment in 2024 and beyond? Well, there's there's two different things here. There's where I'm putting my money. I got I got very lucky. And by the way, it's not a humble brag. I think I'm I think I'm remarkably talented and I know I'm hardworking. Yeah. But the economic security I have is is uh exponentially greater than my talent. And a lot of that's because I was born at the right time, the right, you know, and just the right where you're when and where you're born is is the key or is the largest determinant of your outcome. If I'd been born in you know, in Hamburg in 1920, I would have been a Nazi and died on a Russian field. 
And instead, I was born in 1964, California, and came of age in the internet, processing power, free education, the University of California, and boom, here I am. So uh, what I invest in, because I have the money to do it, is I have this sort of externality or immunity strategy where I can invest in software companies that are managing the comment section on media sites, because I think I see the comment section is where a lot of the real vitriol and really abhorrent content ends up. So I'm, I invested in a subscription-based search engine because I think the ad model is going to terrible places. So I can invest in things where I think there's big economic opportunity and upside, but also I think are addressing a social ill. I would advise young people, I'm writing, a, I have a book called Algebra of Wealth coming out in April. I think it's really important that you establish economic security in your life. I think in America, it, America becomes more like itself every day in your freedoms, your opportunities, are unfortunately very much correlated to your economic security. And the wonderful thing about the market is over the medium and the long term, especially, it the trajectory is up. And so what I tell people in terms of investment is there is an algorithm for investing or in establishing economic security. And it's the following. The first is focus. You got to find something you're good at and identify it. That's what your 20s is for. Workshop, find something you're good at. And then once you find something you're good at, you know, resign yourself to investing 10,000 hours, sacrificing some relationships, sacrificing your hair, realize it's going to be stressful, hard, and try and become at least aim to be in the top 10%, if not the top 1%. And make sure it's a field that doesn't have a 90% unemployment rate. I'm not talking about pursuing your passion in basketball or being a DJ or owning a nightclub or a restaurant or being an actor. Those are shitty businesses with 98 plus points of unemployment. Find something you're good and can maybe be great at that has at least a 90 plus percent employment rate. Once you find that, you should be able to make enough money to sustain yourself. And then add some stoicism. And the key to building wealth is not making a shit ton of money, it's how much money you save. And that is try and live a fairly stoic life. Maybe when you're younger, live with your parents before you can buy a home. Really try and really gamify it. I'm going to save 100 bucks a month. I'm going to save 500. I'm going to save 1000. I'm going to save $2000 a month and create an army of capital for yourself. And basically save more than you spend and then invest it in diversified funds, ETFs, low cost index funds because nobody is investment genius. I don't think after investing for 40 years and thinking I know more than your average bear about the markets, my net conclusion is nobody knows. 100% of economists surveyed in 2022 were predicting a recession in 2023. 2023 was one of the best years in the history of the market. No recession. Nobody knows, Paul. And so you don't want to buy, you don't want to try and find the needle in the haystack. <clears throat> Excuse me. You want to buy the whole haystack. And if you have the ability to be good at something and then make more than you spend, save some money, put it in diversified low-cost funds, you also need to appreciate something our species does not have an easy time appreciating. And that is you sitting there at 49, the last 20 years flew by. They flew by. And if you were an idiot like me at 25 and said, well, I'm not going to save anything. I was making good money at 25 and I didn't save any because I'm like, if I need to save two or $3,000 a year by the time I'm 40, shoot me in the fucking head because I'm a baller and at some point I'm going <laughs> to make millions. And guess what? I woke up at your age and I didn't have economic security. Yep. And it was really frightening. And my, you know, that boring, unimpressive person that doesn't buy bottles at clubs, that goes for a Toyota, a three-year-old Toyota Camry instead of the new BMW. I mean, I understand the desire to want to be attractive to mates and indulge in every once in a while. But if you if you can save some money 
and then put it in low-cost ETFs and index funds. Yeah, someone will take a screenshot of how they double down on Bitcoin and now they're rich and you're not. But the way to get rich on a fairly certain level is focus times stoicism times diversification and then an appreciation for how fast time will go. Because if you invest just, you know, you know what it is. You start investing a few thousand dollars a year when you're in your 20s. You are going to be a millionaire by the time you're my age, and it's going to go really fast. And we have no ability to register the pace of time because the majority of our species, time of our species on this planet, we didn't live past 35. So we can't imagine it. We can't process it. In fact, you're going to live another 20, 30, 50, 80 years, and it's going to go really fast. So here's, here's the good news. I know how to get you rich. The bad news is it's going to be slowly. Right. But I do know how to get you rich. And if you follow those, if you combine that algorithm with those four things, you will get rich. That's the good news. The bad news is you're going to get rich slowly. I love it. This is why you're the master of this. And I wish you would run for public office in addition to all that you're doing. I, I think I asked you last time, you're not going to run for office, are you? Can we get you to run for office? Because we need leaders like you in the public dialogue, driving policy. I'd much rather have you determining policy on Ukraine and Israel. Israel and the economy than most of these jackasses. Um, would you ever run or serve in government? Uh, that's a really generous question. It, I, when you, when I sold my first company, so this is how, as far as I can tell, the political system works. When you sell a company and you make a bunch of money and you're seen as somebody, and if you have a large social following, you get a call from your party. In my case, I got a call from my state's Democratic Party, and they said, we want to run you for mayor or maybe for governor. Yep. And we need you to put in 10 million bucks of your own money. And you're going to lose the first time, but you'll get enough name recognition that you might win the second time. They were very straightforward. I really appreciated how yeah. honest they were. And here's the thing. It, uh, I, I'm a narcissist, so I considered it. I love the idea of being involved in office. I think I would really enjoy running. I'm not sure I would actually enjoy governing because when I meet with senators, Klobuchar and Bennett and Warner, I actually think they're just super impressive people. And they work hard and they have so many options to lead, lead extraordinary lives. And they show up and 50% of America day one hates them. They are, they, 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 they have such a difficult time getting anything done. We need checks and balances, but it's just so difficult for them to get anything. Isn't it done. a higher calling? Like this is that moment where America's at a crossroads. We need people to come off the sidelines who are untraditional. You talk to all these communities that we're talking about. You have a following. You have the money. This is where, you know, I think uh, the independent political movement has been underserved by what we've got. I mean, right now we've got, you know, RFK Jr. and Dean Phillips, and we could have The Rock and Oprah and you. I mean, how do we get people like you to, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to be terrible, but your country needs you. And without a generation that jumps in in leadership or at least a, a cohort in the next couple of years, I don't know how many people are long on America. Well, again, you're being you're being really generous. Um, yeah, but beyond the generosity, I'm also being I'm being I'm being strategic. Like we need you, man. Like we need guys like you. And if we can't get guys like you and gals like you, then that says something about our system, too. Right. Like we need our best and brightest to meet this moment. And frankly, people who can do all the things. And you just said, you could do all the things. Well, first off, th there are a lot of good people running. And you got to ask yourself, where would you be most effective? I'm, I'm just being very transparent here. I don't yeah. think I have the mental strength to run for office. I think I have a tough time when people say mean things about me on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, and so the idea of running sure. for office 
And having people come through my past and then try and embarrass me and my family, I just think I'm not sure I could handle it well. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I have money now. I get to do wonderful things with my family and I just really enjoy my life. And mm -hmm. and I don't I don't want to give that up. I think there's a certain amount of uh, I believe in happiness. I'm trying to get good at it. Um, um, I see my time on this planet is uh, finite. And I think one of the keys to happiness is to be rich, but anonymous. And uh, you can't be anonymous when you're running for office. Also, where can you add the most value? If you have a platform and you have some money and you think of yourself as a good citizen, you can get involved. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, Paul, that I can't have more of an impact being a, a provocateur from outside of the tent and using my platforms and a little bit of my money to talk about issues and to run into the fire. I'm getting a lot of shit for my views on Israel right now. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, it's my time, even if it's not popular, even if I lose some podcast advertisers, I'm going to speak my mind and I'm going to talk about intergenerational, the, what I, that I think that COVID and the response to COVID was the most insane intergenerational theft in history. I, I'm, I, I have the luxury of talking about these things. So I think you can make a big difference. What you're doing is making a big difference. So there's different ways to add value and different ways to contribute. And 10 years ago, when someone called me and said, or when people called me and asked me to run for office again, see above narcissist, I thought, well, I like the, I like the, the, th the idea of that. And then when I sat down and really thought it through, I just think the amount of resilience and money it takes relative to the impact you may or may not have, I'm not sure it's worth it. And it goes back to the problem of how do we get good people to run? But every time I will say this, every time I go to DC and maybe it's the people I meet with, when I meet with some of the senators I mentioned, or I meet with Representative Rokana, I'm just, I'm actually really impressed and hopeful. I just interviewed a kid, um, a kid, um, Andy, should I get his name? He ran cybersecurity for the CIA. I'm trying to get him to run. I'm like, this guy, this yeah. guy is so impressive yeah, 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 and yeah. so reasonable and so yeah. moderate. I'm trying to get, you know, I'd like to see, I don't know. I'd like to see Mark Cuban, maybe not run for president, but run for governor. I, I think there's a lot of looks like he might he might run against Ted Cruz. I think I think that 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 intergenerational piece. I think especially I don't know maybe the cohort around your age, my age, Cuban's age that can kind of be translators between the generation, especially mm -hmm. folks who have an understanding of media and politics and technology, who can be kind of a bridge generation into what America was and what America could be. I think there's a moment for that type of leadership in politics where you're the ones signing the bills, you're the ones determining the budget. And and I hope that, you know, every time you come on the show, I'm going to ask you if you can run because we need you specifically and people like you. And it's like any other kind for you to run. Paul. I'll, I'll cut you. you know what? I'll, I'll tell you straight up. We've talked about I talked about this on the show before. I'm an independent. If I want to run as an as, as a non wealthy independent, there's a tough path. I mean, it, it, there's no path. It's near, it's near and that's impossible. what we need to change. And I think there is structural near change impossible. that can happen. Sorry. Say yeah, but even, it's near impossible. But I will yeah. say, like yeah. a guy like I like guy like Andrew Yang, he ran, he he didn't he didn't get it. he got enough traction that his ideas resonated. Right. People don't realize right. UBI was seen as so socialist and right. such a such a non-starter. And now he's he's actually gotten people comfortable with the notion, well, maybe we just give the, maybe we just give people money. Yeah, like people would never even have that conversation before. So that's right. People can have yeah. an impact. My fear is that third parties 
now are just going to be spoilers that they never actually well it doesn't have to be third party right i mean it has to be no party and i think that's the part if we can empower the people who don't want to pick a side if only unite them in the fact that they don't want to pick a side we're half the country and and that gives us a chance to upend a lot of this and put some more reasonable people in even if it's just a couple senators as a beachhead and if it's someone you know like you running in a place like maine or like alaska we get five or six of them in, in the Senate, and then we start to shift that entire thing. But let me, I've taken much more of your time than I promised I would. Let me ask you one last question. Sure. You made a lot of great predictions. I recommend everybody check out your podcast and your newsletters and everything. I, I always want to try to bring people light to contrast the heat. Do you have a hopeful prediction, an, a positive prediction for 2024 of your list that you want to say, hey, if you're feeling shitty going into this year, January's tough. There's a lot of fire all around the globe. Here's something to keep your eye on and something that I predict will help us all through 2024. Oh, there's a lot. You have young kids. If you're born in America today, you're going to live to be 100 and you're probably going to live, uh, you're probably going to see for the first time a multicultural democracy of this prosperity. This has never been accomplished and we're in striking distance of that. More specifically, geopolitically, I actually believe the kingdom and Israel will reestablish relations and bring uh, some form of midterm peace to the Middle East. I think the two largest economies coming together will create an Iron Dome for Israel, security, create more prosperity. I think I'm hoping that we can come to some sort of multilateral solution that gives uh, the Palestinian people and the residents of Gaza some dignity and ability to govern themselves. So I actually think that uh, there's a hopeful sign, um, uh, uh, hopeful signs in the Mideast. Uh, I'd like to think that the West is going to continue to support Ukraine. We've taken out a third of Russia's kinetic power. I think it spells the end for Putin. I think we've sent a message to autocrats all over the world that when the West binds together militarily and economically, there's we are a formidable force not to be trifled with. And you know, I I, I do think that um, some of the advances around AI and medicine are going to reduce death disease and disability the number of people living in poverty the number of people living in poverty uh, the world health organization uh 20 years ago put out a goal to cut it in half in 40 years they cut it in half in less than 10. so on the whole i think there's remark i I think there's remarkable reasons to be optimistic we came out of a global pandemic with an all hands on deck war footing to come up with vaccines that are a gift from god i am very pro-vaccine and uh, and we would have lost another million American souls had the American, you know, the way we converted the Buick factories into tank factories. We did the same thing around around vaccines. Uh, so I'm I, I think there's a lot of reasons uh, to be very hopeful. Also, Fargo season five is outstanding. Paul. <laughs> it's outstanding. See, man, that you got my vote. And, yeah. and this is the and, kind of message line. So this is the kind of mess where we can continue to figure out ways to 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 bring together the Avengers and try to meet this moment, man. But I appreciate your perspective, your positivity, and your example as a leader, as someone who just says sometimes this is not the right thing for our kids, you know. And and your focus on the next generation and future generations is so important and something we don't hear enough. Um, and and you're just a really really great example, and I'm grateful for your leadership. And for your time on this show and all your support, man. It's really great to have you back. Well, right back at you, brother. I appreciate you doing this. Appreciate your service. And 
And uh, trust me on the kids thing, it gets less bad. It gets less bad. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for the vaccines right now because it could be a whole lot worse in this house right now. But yeah. but but it's less. Thank you for all you do. Happy New Year, Scott. Yeah, Appreciate likewise, Paul. Stay Take vigilant. care. Bye now. As we launch into a wild 2024, be sure to look for the helpers, folks. They are out there. Folks like Prop G himself who are adding light to contrast the heat. And if you see them, use the hashtag look for the helpers and let me know. But in 2024 especially, we're going to have to look for them helpers. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope. We've got lots of great guests and lots of conversations and lots of good content coming out all year long. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button now and share this podcast and everything we're doing at Righteous Media with your friends. Be sure to go to independentamericans.us where you can join our Patreon crew. You can chip in a couple bucks to keep this work coming. You can check videos, past episodes, and much more. Look for me weekly on MSNBC and also on News Nation, usually on Wednesdays and Fridays. Check my social media for more. My thanks to Professor Scott Galloway. Be sure to follow him on social media. He's not on X or Twitter anymore, so check him out on Threads and in other places. Subscribe to his podcast and check out his book and maybe help me encourage him to run for office, maybe as an independent. going to be a wild year and i'm going to keep bringing you content to help cut through the noise to help bring light to contrast the heat to bring those righteous media five eyes and to bring our independent movement together because we are some hope for the future no matter how dark it might look sometimes country over party people over politics light over heat while disrupting the status quo and fueling a new independent movement that continues to span all across our country our movement is growing, and for independence, 2024 is going to be the biggest year yet. If you like this episode with Scott Galloway, please share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. It'll help us all stay vigilant. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we're all in this together no matter what this wild and wacky year might bring. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Now more than ever. Stay vigilant, America. And happy 2024. Media.